Again, I would like to thank you all for taking the time out of your, your day uh, to participate in the WOW seminar. And I also want to just tell the women who are in relationships with individuals that are incarcerated, you are definitely the MVP of the team. Um, and I think that most people don't really understand what, you, what the women bring to the life of those who are incarcerated. So again, I, I salute you all in saying that you are definitely the MVP of the team. And I sincerely hope and pray that the men that are in your lives, that they really see the value that you bring to the table. And it's not just about putting money on their account, but that's my little daughter right there. So she made it intentional to be a part of this, but it's all good. But it's, I want you all to understand that, as I said, that the relationships that you all are in is more than just putting money on the books for your loved one, sending them a letter or something like that. But it's, it's a little more deeper than that. And that's what I want to take the time to expound upon today. As Janice mentioned, my name is Lester Young. I'm the founder of an organization called Path to Redemption. Path to Redemption is my baby. It was a thought of mine. While I was serving time in prison, I started writing out uh, the whole plan for my organization when I was in prison. Also, I'm a certified uh, champion influence life coach uh, taught by Toyana, Toyana, Toyana Smith. As she mentioned, she just conducted a class with you guys. I went through her program, the uh, champion influence life coach. I'm also an author of the book called The Five Stage of Incarceration. I'm a community organizer around criminal justice issues. I'm also a mentor to the youth, helping youth stay out of prison. So those are a few things that uh, that I do since me being released. As Janice mentioned too, I served a total of 22 years and five months in prison. I was sentenced to life at 19 years old and I was released at the age of uh, 41. And what I wanna share with you guys is some of the inner works that I believe that every individual that is connected to you all now have to make the investment. And, I, and as I mentioned to you all, you are the uh, MVP on this team and it's very important that you all really challenge the individuals that that are in the relate that you're in a relationship with and what I mean by challenge I want you guys to really like have put the mirror before these individuals that you're in a relationship with and help them really see uh, what, I, what I call the areas of denial what they're in denial about prior to the incarceration as I was looking here let me hold these for a minute and that's I just wanted to show you guys something, right? That this is, all of this, right? All of these that you see are work that I put in to discover who I was inside of prison. And, and I tell people that it's very important that the person that you're in a relationship with, this is just not even half of my journals. Every day I wrote for 20 something years in prison, writing down, trying to understand what led me to my incarceration? What were the things that I needed to better address while I was in prison? Uh, but most importantly, that if I were to ever be released from prison, how would I be a different person when I'm released from prison? So these are some things that I want you really to challenge your mate, you know what I'm saying? Really challenge them to really think about it. If they haven't thought about it, really pushed into that. And, and, and one of the things that I mentioned in my book, I wrote a book called The Five Stages of Incarceration. I'm going to share these principles with you so that you can share with your loved one so that you can really push them and put that mirror to their face and really say, who, who are you? Because one of the things that I mentioned in my book is I had a moment when I was in prison. I was maybe, maybe 20, I was 22 years old at this time and I was in prison. I remember sitting I was standing up brushing my teeth in the mirror while I was, in, you know, um, preparing to go and eat breakfast. 
And I couldn't look at myself. I couldn't look at myself because for a long time I didn't like the person that I was. You know, I wasn't I wasn't confident. I I knew that the crime that I committed, it was it was I, I shot somebody over some drugs. I'm serving life in prison for murder. You know, it was a lot of things that I was struggling with and I could not look myself in the mirror. But it was just one morning I remember as I'm brushing my teeth, something just told me, said, Lester, look in this mirror. Look at you. This is who you are. And I remember for the first time, I really got a chance to look myself in the mirror. And that when I looked in that mirror, I saw somebody that was broken. You know, it, that was broken. And this, and this brokenness didn't just stop when I went to prison. It started prior to me going to prison. All right? So we're going to stop there for a minute. I want you guys, if you're in a relationship... To really have that conversation with your loved one because if a person is not understanding that he is broken doing his type of incarceration, broken people or hurt people hurt people, right? And it's very important that we understand and I knew that I needed to understand what were the things that that let, that broke me, that put me in the position where I was at in my life. So I had to be honest with myself. And there's two things that I want you guys to really understand. One, there's a thing called criminal thinking. Criminal thinking is defined as what? This this is a thinking that most individuals who are in prison, and, I, and I'm not throwing shade on your loved one when I say this, okay? Please respect what I'm saying. Criminal thinking is a thinking that was shaped prior to one's incarceration. It's a criminal thinking that makes one think that he's slick, uh, he's unique, he know how to camouflage, he know how to maneuver, manipulate, and one of the biggest manipulation that we, when I mean we as individuals who are incarcerated, what I, I realize is that we learn how to manipulate change. Do y'all get that? We learn how to manipulate change. The process of change is not a quick fix. If we went to prison broken and, and dealing with a lot of abuse, a lot of abandonment issues, hurt, whatever that, whatever that pain was, right? A person who's in prison have to understand that that brokenness is not going to be a quick fix. That means that going back again to that challenge, you have to be willing to look yourself in the mirror to figure out what is it that has put me in this position? What What is those areas of brokenness in my life? And that's a conversation that you have to have with your loved one as, you, as you're continuing championing and preparing for that person release. He or she needs to understand that this challenge that they face is that they have to make sure that they don't return home. Home broken. I get it. Broke what it says, y'all. I'm familiar with the saying, hurt people hurt people. And individuals who are in prison, we don't we don't have the intentions of coming home to hurt anyone. But if we're staying in the stage of denial during our incarceration, denial about our drug addiction, denial about our abuse, our sexual molestation issues, our, whatever those issues are in our lives, if we bury these things while we're incarcerated, when we return home from prison, these things are going to show up in your relationship. It's going to show up in your marriage. It's going to show up in his workplace. It's going to show up on different areas of that person's life because inside of prison, it's easy for you to disguise it's easy for you to disguise who you really are. It's easy for you to put a Band-Aid on an issue and, and walk in prison for many years with a Band-Aid when you really need to perform surgery. Y'all get it? This is really hard. And I know a lot of my brothers when I was in prison, they didn't want to have this conversation. 
They didn't want to have a conversation because it's, it's a raw conversation. And I believe that every person that is incarcerated, especially when you're coming home and you're asking someone to put their life on hold for you. And that's what you guys are doing. Not necessarily putting your life on hold, but you're saying that I'm, I believe in you. And I believe that you're worthy of me staying celibate, doing whatever I need to do to be in a relationship with you. I believe in you, right? So that means that that person that is in that relationship with you, he's in prison, then he needs to be real with you and he needs to have a real conversation with himself. He needs to look himself in the mirror every day to make sure that when he released from prison, that the, that, the, that the pain and the hurt and all of that stuff before prison, and we ain't even talked about what happened in prison, don't come and be, be, the, be the thing that destroy the relationship. See, and, 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 I, and I speak from experience. As, as Janice mentioned, me and my wife, we were in a late relationship prior to me even coming home. Seven years, seven years before I was released from prison, still serving life, my wife chose to believe in me. She chose to make it an investment in me. Just like some of you right now, you're making an investment in your loved ones. Some of their parole dates or max out dates may still be 10, 15 years down the road, but it's something that clicked in you to say that I'm going to believe in this person and I'm going to put all my time and energy into that person. And that's one of the things that my wife did. She made the, she made the investment in me and, and uh, seven years before I even had uh, a, a possibility of parole, she made that investment. And when I knew that before I even met her, before I met her, I knew that I, I knew the type of woman I wanted in my life. So I knew that I had to continue to put that work in before I even met my wife. And this is what I tell you again, that the person that you're in that relationship with, he has to make sure that he is putting in the work. He's putting in the work to prepare himself for whatever that looks like when he walks out of prison. Because if he doesn't put the work in, then again, this stuff is going to spill over into relationships, right? So the second thing was, the second stage of my uh, 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 incarceration, what I discovered is, is anger. Anger is rooted in a lot of core issues, abandonment issues, abuse issues, insecure issues, lack of confidence, low self-esteem, drug addiction, hurt, etc. Whatever that looks like, right? It's important that you make sure that your loved one is really addressing anger. Anger, and I'm not just talking about the word anger. I'm talking about understanding all the different levels of anger. It's very important because as we say, it's not, the, it's not the tip of the iceberg that sinks a ship. It is what's beneath the iceberg that sinks a ship. Y'all get that? What's beneath the surface is the thing that, that, that sinks the ship. It's what's beneath the surface going to sink a relationship. If that person does not address those core issues. And anger, as I said again, anger can be that thing where you find most people inside of prison because I'm speaking about prison we learn is passive aggressive anger is that is that is that indirect anger we find other things to justify the anger you understand what I'm saying it's very easy for us to create these diversions from looking at us inside of prison go back again to what I said criminal thinking what is criminal thinking and one example of criminal thinking is a uniqueness one another one is believing in always manipulating a process and this is something that is continuously it's enhanced while you're in prison because in prison it's justifiable to beat the guards it's justifiable to maneuver it's justifiable in prison to do certain things and if that justify if you're doing that now you can only imagine how it's going to manifest inside of your relationship when you walk out of prison right 
The third stage is called it's called victimization. Victimization is is where individuals have not taken ownership for their actions. If you're in a relationship with your loved one right now and he is still finding reasons to justify his criminal behavior, still finding reasons to engage in criminal behavior, then guess what? Those behaviors is not going to be covered up or, or done with when a person walks out of prison. See, I believe that you cannot turn off, you cannot turn off criminal thinking six months for your release from prison. You cannot turn it off, all right? You cannot. So again, all of this, all of these journals here is me putting in the energy and the time to understand what victimization was. What is victimization? How do I take ownership for, for the actions that led to my incarceration? You know, I'm not going to blame. It's not about blaming anyone because I realized during that time, if I continue to blame people, then again, it's going to be manifested when I walk out of prison because I've done learned how to, again, what? To manipulate a process, cut corners to transformation. Transformation cannot be something that is microwavable. It cannot be something that is shortcut. You have to go through a process. You have to be willing to be uh, expanded, scratched. To the next level in order for you to grow and this is something again where the mvps on his team you all the wives the girlfriends this is where you have to be that person to be say hey you need to scratch you need to be willing to address these issues i always tell people this in prison i remember sitting in prison and it was a very common thing and i'm pretty sure every every one of you on this on this line is guilty of this you may and if i if i'm wrong please forgive me right but how many of you, when you go on visit, you go straight to the vending machine and you fill the tables up with chips, sodas, crackers, whatever it's in the vendor's table. How many of you fill that table up with food? This is your hands. How many of you, how many of you like go there when you go into the, into, into the, into the prison, you go set to the table with a handful of, of, of food and you put it on the table, right? And then your loved one walks in, he walks in, and guess what he does? He, he hugs, he kisses you, and then guess what happens next? He pops the soda, begins eating the chips, and then the conversation may go like, how, how was your day, how was your ride here? I always tell people that the visitation table, it should be the table of real talk. It should be the table of real talk. See, I noticed when, because I was real observant in prison, and like I said, trying to study myself, I realized that those were the moments, especially in relationships, especially when your loved one come, you don't want to have real conversations because you don't want to put yourself in that position where you're vulnerable. A man don't want to be vulnerable to his emotions. He don't want to sit down and tell you really what's taking place inside of prison that is harming him, right? So he suppresses that to save you, right? But what happens it only suppresses the real issues. You don't really have real conversation in prison like that. For, for seven years, me and my wife never saw one another. For seven years, I never saw my wife on, I mean, for the first three months when we started dating, I saw her on visit. After that, I didn't see her no more until I was released out of prison. So what we did, if I could show you, man, we have like, we have like stacks of, oh, hold up for one second. Let me just show you something.
All right. When I said that for like seven years, we didn't see each other. This is just one box. This is just one box. And all you can identify with this, right? This is just one box. This, and we talking about seven years. Every day my wife wrote me, right? Every day. This is, this is just one box of, of letters all the way going back all the way to 2006, right? But in these letters, hold up for a minute, but in these letters, they was always putting the mirror before me. It was never surface conversation. It was always, I believe in your vision, but you need to dig deeper. And this is what the MVPs do. The MVPs always tell the person that they're on, that is on that team, you need to dig deeper. You have to, you have to challenge your loved one to dig deeper if you expect, if you're putting, <clears throat> you're putting the time and energy with each of these letters. It's each of these letters that was written to me. It was just sent from a homeboy. It was sent from a woman who said, I'm gonna make an investment in you, right? And each one of these letters was a constant reminder of the investment. So it was knowing and understanding for me, I knew that I had to make sure that the thoughts, that everything that I said was lined up. It was never really surface conversations. And if you wanna have a healthy relationship with a person, you have to make sure that it's not surface. Right, the third, uh, 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 yes, let's go. We so this cover we spoke about self denial. Challenge your loved one to have that real conversation, try to get to know them and make sure that they are really addressing these issues. If that person, I'm gonna be honest with you, if that loved one has not taken one class while he was in prison to address his issues, then it's, it's suspect. If he's not told, if he's not asked you to order him one book from prison in the last two to three years, you haven't ordered one book that you all are studying together, like a relationship book, a self-help book, that right there, those are red flags to me. Because again, if I'm gonna be driving hours to come see you and I'm putting money, I'm feeding you, but you have not taken one class? You haven't taken one GED class? You have not taken one trade? You have not said, babe, could you go on Amazon and order me this book about how to be a better man? See, this is this is this is what I'm talking about, the investment, right? Because when I remember this, I started studying business, right? When I was in prison, like I said, I was already on this journey before I met my wife, right? I was already on this journey of writing, journaling, reading. And I remember I started I wanted to start learning about entrepreneurship. And I remember the first thing I told her, I was like, man, I need to order a book. And she was like, How much is the book? I said the book was like two hundred dollars. She said, two hundred? I said, yeah, she, she said, so she was like, what I do, I'll contact your friend and see what he can come up with and then I'll help you out, right? So before I knew it, I went to the mail room and guess what, I had the book in the mail, right? I had this book, but this book was a blueprint to prepare me because I wanted to engage in the act, I wanted to grow. And she was like, if you want this book so bad and you didn't ask me about putting money on the phone, you didn't ask for food, you said a book then I'm gonna make that investment in you. You see where I'm coming from? So it's very important that you all who are in this re in relationships, challenge your loved one, challenge your loved one. And the third and the last two is, is, is called the decriminalization stage. Decriminalization is where a person now takes personal responsibility for his own personal rehabilitation and change. See me serving life in prison me serving life in prison was easy for me to tell anybody, say, man, I'm serving life. 
the prison administration doesn't have any programs for me to to take up, so uh, I'm I'm just sitting on the shelf waiting for my parole date. You know, I get on the phone and tell you how bad prison is, how bad the food is. Don't get me wrong, the food is bad. But that's my, that's the whole jits of my conversation. It's how bad the prison environment is, how bad the food is, how bad they're treating me. But there's never no real man in the mirror conversation, right? So with that, that decriminalization is when I remember I said to myself that it was a story. It was a book in the book in the Bible. It's a story of Joseph. And we already know the story where Joseph had this power of vision. He was able to interpret dreams. And 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 and, and in this in this in this in this situation, someone who was in prison with Joseph left Joseph, forgot about him, right? And and he and he and before he left, he knew that Joseph had a gift, and that was the ability to interpret a dream. And the kings went, a couple years later went by. This man forgot about Joseph. I mean, forgot about Joseph in prison. But this king had a troublesome dream, and the only one that was able to to interpret that dream was Joseph. And this man was like, "Oh, I know the person that can help you interpret this dream." And the man said, "Where is he?" He said, "He's incarcerated." And the, the point of this story is that I met, while I was in prison serving life, I always told myself that I want to put myself in a position. That, that if the day would ever come and something would happen crazy in the world and they said, we're going to release you from prison. We're going to release those from prison who have a skill, who have a gift, who has discovered something. I wanted to be in that. I wanted to position myself for that day, even though I was serving life. I said, I still want to be in that position that Joseph was in that position that even though they say I'll never get out of prison, who would know that the president may call and say, go get this person out of prison because he has something that can save our community, right? So that's the question you have to ask your loved one is, is he putting himself in a position that even if he's serving a long prison sentence, is he putting in the work so that when something comes down, I always tell people like, man, you serving life. You should be, you should be on lock You should be stabbing people. I was like, no, because one day this door is going to open and I want to be prepared to walk out that door. Right? So I had all the reasons to justify why I did, why I shouldn't take these classes. But I said in the story of Joseph, he said one day, even though he was in prison, this man, the king had a troublesome dream and no one was able to interpret these dreams other than Joseph. And I said, I want to be in the same position as Joseph, that one day something's going to happen in our community. And they're going to say the only ones have the answers are those who are sitting inside of the prison. And I want to be that one that is going to hold my hand up or somebody going to say, I know somebody that has a message that need to bring to the world. And that's what it's been. Right. The last two. And I'm going to wrap it up. The last two stages. I mentioned the decriminalization stage. <clears throat> This is where a person, your loved one, has to take personal responsibility for his change. Regardless of how much time he's serving, no matter what's going on in that side of that prison, he must be focused on his personal rehabilitation. He must be focused on a self-examination. He must be focused on forgiving himself. And the, and the fourth stage of this is forgiveness. You know, your loved one, whoever, again, I don't know the nature of their crime. I know I, was commi I committed a violent crime, which was murder. That was a very violent crime. Shot somebody over some drugs. But I knew that in order for me to, to bring about true transformation, I had to seek forgiveness. You know, I had to I had to seek forgiveness from the creator. I had to seek forgiveness from those who have harmed. I had to, and, and, and what I did, going back again to my journals, I knew that I could not write my victims. I wrote letters to them in my journal. I wrote letters to every person that I remember by name seeking their forgiveness. I wrote letters to myself 
every day I'm writing letters to forgiving myself so that I can be able to free, break through, and have that breakthrough to move forward. And not only that, but use my message or my mess to be a transformational message to those who are in prison along with me, right? So in that, again, a conversation should be had about forgiveness. Where are you at with forgiveness? Where are you at forgiving yourself? Where are you at with the bitterness that you hold in your heart towards those who have harmed you? Because a heart has to be cleansed in order to truly love a person and appreciate a person. The last one is transformation. What is transformation? This is again when your loved one or this person or persons have taken the steps to changing his habit while he's in prison. Having that real conversation with that man in the mirror every day. Having real depth and depth conversation, not surface conversation. Uh, focusing on his anger issues. Focusing on ownership for his actions. Seeking forgiveness. Building a, 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 a line of forgiveness for himself. And transformation. What does that look like in prison? That means that your loved one should not be wasting time in prison. I, I, I tell people all the time, I'm, I'm not a spades champion. I don't play spades. I played spades in prison, but I was that was not my activity. I may spend, I, I, I monetize my time in prison. I said I may spend like a couple hours playing the games in prison, but the most of my time is going to be spent in books. So that's a, another question you have to ask, see with your loved one. And I'm not telling you to go with a host of, of, of questioning, but just sit down and listen to his conversation. Where is he spending his time at? What kind of conversations, who is he hanging around inside of prison? Because where he spends his time at, this is where it's going to be the recriminization, that criminal thinking is going to be shaped, right? And then you're going to walk out. Lastly, I mentioned to you all, my daughter didn't mess up my, uh, my daughter didn't up my journals, but one of my journals that I have, it's called my uh, release journal. And this release journal was writing down all of my plans that I wanted to accomplish before once I'm released from prison. And, and, and this is another question that you have to have with your loved one is like, where, where are you at? Where's your journey at? Like, what are you journey? What are your goals when you walk out of prison? What's your five year goal? What's your two year goal? What's your one year goal when you walk out of prison? What does that look like when you walk out of prison? Where, where do you see, clear, shut that door please. Like one of the things that I did, I sat down and I said, oh, I'm in a relationship. What is a what is a healthy relationship looks like? For me, I didn't have a healthy relationship prior to prison. I I didn't have a uh, uh, I had a I didn't have a monogamous relationship. I had a polygamous. I had just multiple women relationship. At 19 years old, I didn't know what it meant to meant to be committed to one woman. So now here, there's this person I'm in a relationship with. She has invested seven years of her life with me, right? So now I have to like learn how to be a husband. See, most men, again, your loved one, you have to look at what their relationship history looks like. If they had a relationship history where they have never had solid relationships, they don't know what commitment means. They don't know how to manage and maintain a household. That's a, that, that's a red flag. Not telling you a red flag to run away from your loved one, but it's telling you that this is the conversation that you need to be focusing on. Because if you're asking him to be the head of the household, you're asking him to be your partner, then you need to be providing the tools that he needs in order to become a good partner partner for you. Meaning that instead of spending time talking about, oh, I love you, you love me, I love you, you love me, I love you, you love me, that type of conversation, we should be focusing on how does it look, how does it look for you becoming a husband. You know, let's, let's, and this is another thing that we did. We would sit down and we would read books together. 
on our visits, the short visits that we did have, we would sit down and read books together. And then when, when my visit was cut, my wife would sit down and we would do book reports. Each of us would get the same book. Like right now, I challenge you, you know, of course, I'm going to plug my book, right? Is to get this book, order you a copy, order your husband a copy, and sit down there and let that be a conversation for you and your husband. Let this be a new conversation where you like, where are you at in these five stages? So that it give you somewhat of a blueprint of where, where he's at and also help you to understand what's that mindset looks like inside of a prison environment, right? And I'm going to close, not really close, but now another thing, if that person, see, I don't, I didn't take the time to talk about all of the harms. Somebody can pop. Somebody can uh, mute. Crystal, could you mute, please? Who is it? Could y'all hear me? Janice, could you mute her? All right. So y'all can hear me? Okay. So I didn't, I didn't spend time talking about the, the, the post-incarceration syndrome because I want you all to make sure that your loved one is putting in the work now because if he is not putting in the work now, post-incarceration syndrome going to be even crazier for you, right? And one of those things is that he is not going to be able to acclimate acclimate back into a relationship. He's not going to be able to acclimate back into a world if he's not understanding the structure. So what I mean by your books, your reading, the things that you select to put forth with him, he has to be putting that time into reshape his paradigm of relationships. What does what does a marriage look like? What is, what are your love language? What is his love language so that when he comes home or and you all are sitting down and, and having a conversation, you both are getting, you understand what each other's love language is. You learn the line of communication because guess what? When you walk out of prison, you're not going to have a lot of food on the table. You're not going to have a lot of food out of the vision machine. Uh, you're not going to have that 15 minute phone call that, that you fall in love with. You're going to have to have that person going to be in your house every day. They're going to be in your house every day. You're going to have to have a real conversation with that person every day. You can't hide behind food no more. He's going to sleep in the bed with you. You're going to have to conversate with him. And it's important that you do that now as you move forward. Because post-incarceration, that's a whole other issue. Because if he's damaged inside of prison and did not do the stuff that is needed to prepare himself, then he's going to bring that damage to you. And I close saying that if your loved one is in the process of coming home, one of the first steps I would say is... Get him into counseling as soon as he comes home. Find a therapist, find a counselor, and begin that process. Why? Because what he has seen in prison or what he experienced in prison, he is going gonna, is gonna to surface. And getting him in a, in, into a coach, finding a coach that has been in prison, helping him process re-entry is going to be vital to his success. Because if he walks out of prison, you all have never been in prison. You all don't understand what a cultural shock gonna be like. For me, when I walked out of prison at, after 22 years, I experienced some of the, some serious anxiety. Never experienced anxiety in my life, but anxiety was overwhelming because of the culture shock. The world had changed. The world has changed for your loved one, and it's, and he is, he might think that oh, I know what the world looks like because I watch the news. 
No, man. The world has changed. The news only put the news don't prepare you for the real emotions that is going to surface once you walk out of prison. And with that being said, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I thank you all for this opportunity. I want you guys to challenge your loved one. Challenge your loved one to be a better person because if you're the MVP of his team, then part of being that MVP of his team is pushing him to be that person that needs to be done. And again, and I say this, and if you see the red flags, if you see the red flags, don't 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 get be enamored with uh, with the conversation. If you don't see the red, if you see the red flags and you don't begin having a real conversation about the red flags, then those red flags are gonna surface on the other side of those prison walls. It's gonna be a bigger problem for you. Fair? Thank you. Any questions? We good? I can't hear y'all. Wow, 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 Lester. This cool. is just wow. Like, we just need...